it's important to understand these sacrifices. And so I just want to review with you. Uh, week one, we looked at the Olah, this burnt offering. And then the Minha, the tribute, the Shalamim, the fellowship offering, the Hatat, the sin offering, and the Asham, the guilt offering. All of these sacrifices, if you've missed any of the uh, sermons, or you can go back, you can look at them on the app. You can either watch them or listen to them. They also have all the discussion questions to take you a little bit further. If you missed any of those, those are important to really understand this morning because uh, what we were talking about is Jesus. Because all of these sacrifices brought a specific gift before God. All of these sacrifices were very, very important in terms of how God designated how we would interact with him, how we would have fellowship and, and receive forgiveness from God. And the result of this living was quite a burden. And, and some of you know this, know this, when, when you decide you are going to have a uh, named child, uh, you, that is exciting and it is wonderful. And, and you have a baby shower and streamers and, and balloons and everyone's excited and they come see you at the hospital and they come visit you at home and you receive cards and everything's cute. And then you have to raise such child. You have to teach such child. I, uh, I have twins, uh, Luke and Seth, they're now 12. And I watched a video on YouTube yesterday of uh, a time-lapse video of a dad with twin girls. And they were babies, uh, probably six months or so, eight months, and they were on the bed and they kept crawling away. And it was kind of a fun time-lapse. I should have had it up here for you, but he kept pulling them back and pulling them back and almost falling off the bed. And it, there is a burden with raising kids. Any of you parents agree to that? Raise your hand if, if you know that there's a burden that comes with that. It's joyful, it's exciting, but there is a burden. There is uh, the financial burden. There's the, the scent uh, burden uh, of that which you smell. There, there is food leaving your house faster than it can come in. There is uh, psychological uh, burdens that you've got to deal with. There is, uh, I've done my homework. Uh, you need to turn it in. Uh, okay, I heard you. Well, why didn't you turn in your homework? Like There is burdens, right? Uh, if your kid gets picked on at school or, or uh, falls in to girl cat fighting. There is a burden that comes with raising kids, but it's wonderful. It's the greatest thing. But there is certainly a burden. And the result of sacrifices was life given, hope given. But it came with a burden for these people in the Old Testament. It came with a financial burden. We talked about that last week, that these sacrifices often were going on multiple times a day, every day, all day, all this stuff going on. And sometimes one single sacrifice would cost you two or three days wages. So it's the financial burden. There's the physical burden, walking a mile or two or even more to go somehow wrangle up a bull and, and sweet talk it to come with you only to try and slaughter it. Like that's not an easy task. It's easier just to mow your lawn but they didn't have that opportunity. There's the mental and psychological burden that the minute you finish a sacrifice and you're like, whew, finally I'm right in God's eyes and you get home and your kids badmouth you and you respond bad and now you gotta go do a sacrifice again. There's the kids again. The burden. They just caused you to have to go do a sacrifice. They caused you to have to spend your money and to spend your day in this sacrifice. There's the religious burden of never being right enough. Of, of never doing enough sacrifices that it just keeps 
going. And then there's the eternal burden. You see, they didn't have an assurance the way we have an assurance. So there was, there was this wonder, there was this, always this fear of, did I do enough sacrifices? I got to make sure that I've done enough sacrifices before I've died, because what if those sins aren't forgiven? So there's an eternal burden. And what we see throughout the remainder of the scriptures is a pointing to and a truth that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, which all the animal sacrifices simply anticipated. One thing I want to make abundantly clear to you today, and if you're watching or listening online, is the only way you can be made right in the eyes of God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, the one who will rule for eternity, is not by being good, not by choosing Allah, not by choosing Buddhism, not by going after mysticism, not by trying to be good enough, not by trying to take a smorgasbord on a plate and grab all different elements of all the things that are good on this world. If you do not choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he is not your hope, you will be very disappointed in, a, in an eternity of suffering for the rest of your life. And in a world that fudges that, in a world that waters that down, trying not to offend people, trying to make sure we're all getting along and, and I want to hear where you're coming from, I just want to say clearly once and for all, it is a lie that the world gives you that you can find hope in something other than Jesus Christ. It is not possible. You might have momentary relief. You might have momentary hope. But there is nothing other than Jesus Christ that will get you eternity with the Father. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that if you do not choose Jesus Christ, you will, quote, burn in hell. And I've never been a fire and brimstone preacher. But that needs to be said. And the Old Testament believers, those that performed these sacrifices, they knew that loud and clear. If that's offensive to you, that's the Bible. The Bible is offensive. Jesus is offensive. The call to him being the only way, the truth, and the life is offensive. But it's also life-giving. You see, we have to look at all of these different sacrifices with the backdrop, if you would, of Jesus and his sacrifice. I want you to turn with me in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 26. We read that earlier. Josie read this, but I want to reiterate it. It says this, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows us that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself, you hear it in the world that God's not fair. That is the biggest lie Satan has convinced this world. Wrong. God is fair. He provided a way. You might not like the way, but he provided the way. 
Verse 26, he is fair and he is just and he makes sinners right in his side when they believe in Jesus. It is only through Jesus. It is not through something else. And again, that might not fit your fancy, but that's on you. You got to figure that out. You see, the blood of the animal sacrificed, symbolic of its death when it was shed, represented the death of the sinner. And, and the sinner, the worshiper, if you would, identified with the animal by placing hands on the animal's head. And there was a transference. There was, there was a transferring of my guilt to this animal in God's eyes. And then when the animal was sacrificed, your sin was forgiven. But the connection in the Old Testament was merely, merely symbolic. It actually didn't happen, but in God's eyes, he saw it to be so. It was symbolism. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, we learn that Christ's blood is the ultimate sacrifice that removes sin. But it also does more than just remove sin. It removes God's anger with you because of your sin. How, how, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have thought to yourself, lied in your bed, sat in a chair, gone for a walk, uh, sat at your cubicle, uh, whatever it might be, and thought, God is angry with me because I did my sin again, and I told him I wouldn't, and I did, and he's angry. Friends, God's not angry with you. That anger's done. We are declared right with God because of our union with Christ. Turn with me a few chapters to the right in 1 Peter. Uh, it's almost towards the end of your Bible if you're new to Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. I want to encourage you, all of these passages, if you're using your own Bible, it would be worthy to have a highlighter or a pen, all of these verses. Because someday someone's going to ask you, well, how, in your opinion, or they might say, according to your religion, how does Jesus fulfill all this? And you're going to want to be able to turn to some of these and kind of work through some of these answers. So the first one, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, through 26. This one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, says this, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid for with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. Remember, we talked about this last week, that you would not just give a sacrifice, especially for the Hatat and the Asham, but you had to give a 20% repayment, right? And it came from gold and silver to repay for you doing wrong. This says it didn't come from mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before before the world began. But now in these days, he has been revealed for your sake. It wasn't by the 20% sacrifice and the reparation. Our salvation was paid for by Christ. He is the lamb without blemish. He is the animal that is sacrificed whose blood representing his death earns our redemption. And this plan wasn't an oops. 
It wasn't God creating humanity and then looking at sin and going, oh man, all right, we got to come up with a plan. Board meeting tonight in angel room five. We got to figure out what to do. Oh, okay. Collectively, we decided we would send my son Jesus. Okay, well, let's implement that starting next week. This wasn't a plan. This was a plan before the world even began. This was all part of God's beautiful, exciting, powerful plan that we celebrate on Christmas. This wasn't an oops before the world began. This plan. One of my favorite TV shows growing up, I don't know if you can join me in this or if you want to admit this, was the A-Team. Yes. Raise your hand. Any A-Team fans? Thank you, Christy. Tracy, seriously, you didn't raise your hand? Okay, both of you, good. All right, so look at these guys. You almost want to say before there were Navy SEALs, there was the A-Team. These guys did anything they wanted. Bless you. These guys did anything they wanted. They went in, they kicked booty, and they took names, especially B.A. Baracus. Like, Alex has considered leading worship with gold chains like that <laughs> and earrings, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, these guys often didn't have a plan, except for one guy. And what was his most famous line? I love it when a plan comes together. Now, this isn't perfect. This is not a perfect analogy because they often flew by the seat of their pants and they didn't have a clue what they were doing. And then at the end, they would say, I love it when a plan comes together, right? It was almost by mere accident that it all kind of worked out. Bullets are flying, cars are exploding, they're jumping over rivers, they're doing all these things, somehow getting out of a, a locked interrogation cell and I ran with a toothpick and I love it when a plan comes together, right? And it was always the end where they were kind of hugging and making fun of each other and I love it when a plan comes together. You have to understand that, that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, when he said it is finished, when that sponge of vinegar was lifted up to Jesus to give him a little bit of uh, moisture in his mouth and he said it is finished and he breathed his last, that there was a moment of God in the midst of his tears, in the midst of his anguish, in the midst of his pain of watching his son be ridiculed and beaten and tortured and eventually killed, that there was a moment where God said, I love it when a plan comes together. Because this had been a plan before the world even began. Sometimes we can put Jesus into our thinking into this world, into paper and wood and carpet and cars and work. This plan of God's is not of this world. This act of God isn't flesh and blood. What Jesus did is not normal to us. It is something that God destined before the world began. And yes, it hurt but it was a beautiful plan of hope and life. And now, as you know, after each sacrifice, this candle is scentless. But maybe it was one of those Bath and Body Works candles. It would smell like 
women or whatever. <laughs> it, just, it just smells like wax. But you know this, it's like the holiday, it's Thanksgiving, so you're probably gonna light some kind of apple cider or pumpkin candle at your house, right? Or, or a pine candle, and then Christmas will happen and you'll light whatever you light for Christmas to make it smell pretty. There was a pleasing aroma after each sacrifice that made you right. The Bible says, and it was a sweet aroma, pleasing to the Lord. Why was it a sweet aroma? I don't know. The only thing I can come close to is when you fry bacon. <laughs> there's meat and there's fat, and it, it is a sweet aroma. That's the closest thing that I can come up with. But it was the heart. It wasn't just the smell. What is new in the New Testament language compared to the Old Testament with this sweet perfume? Turn with me to Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 5. A couple chapters back to the left. It says this starting in verse 1. Chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do because you are his dear children. Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you know that you are loved and adored by God? Do you know that he thinks about you all day long? Do you know that he would do anything to protect you and to provide for you? That his ability to forgive is endless. Because you are a child of God. Verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. What's the example of Christ? He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Even in the pain, even in the sacrifice, even the ripping of his body, the shedding of his blood, as the, the cattails are, are tearing apart his back, as the crown of thorns is thrust onto his head, as the nails are thrust into his hands and his feet, it is a beautiful, somehow beautiful, pleasing aroma to God. We look at Easter and it's horrific. We show up on Good Friday historically and we look at, at the sacrifice of what did it cost Jesus A whole sermon series could, could be looking at Easter from the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of God. The Father and the Son. But somehow there was a beautiful aroma watching and observing the Son of God sacrificed once and for all. Paul reminds the Ephesians of the sacrificial nature of Christ's death in order to prod them on for sacrificial behavior themselves. If you're, if you're hearing throughout the last several weeks, you're hearing this correctly, it's more than just the forgiveness of your sin. Yes, that's the pinnacle. But it's more than that. It's to then show you an example of how you ought to live sacrificially. It's to show you that you have the ability to, to literally waltz into God's presence, into the holy of holies, which means virtually nothing to us, but to the Old Testament, they would think that is the most far-fetched idea you could ever come up with. And yet again, it is reiterated that Jesus is the holosmos, the, the sacrifice 
It is in the words of theologian Gary Burge, who's a professor at Calvin Theological Seminary. He says, it's a sacrifice to placate someone who is angry. The night Jesus is betrayed, the night he is taken into custody, the morning he is on a trumped up charge and a bogus trial in court, the afternoon that he's carrying his cross and being tormented by the words of those who are watching, God is angry. An anger that we know nothing about. And then the cross is raised. And it slides into its hole with jarring movement. And it says that the crucifixion during that jarring movement would rip the body. And God is angry. I want you to think about the time when you've been the most angry. Hopefully it wasn't today. There have been some times I've been angry. There have been some times where that's been holy anger and not holy anger. At that moment, as Jesus is dying, God unleashes all of his anger on his son. No holds barred. The full wrath of God. And then Jesus takes his last breath. And the veil is torn. And earthquakes happen. And storms come in. And people begin to flee the area of the cross. And God's anger against humanity is changed once and for all with this sacrifice. His anger roared through the Old Testament. His anger roared into the New Testament up until this moment. But in the new covenant with Jesus, that anger is appeased once and for all. You do not approach an angry God. People say all the time, and I'm one of them, when I'm watching the news, how long is God going to put up with this? Like, when is he going to get angry enough? He doesn't. God is not angry with you. He's not angry for your sin. He is not angry for you making a promise and then walking away. That anger is dealt with once and for all. You do not approach an angry God. You approach in the name of Jesus and therefore you are right in his eyes. Isn't that good news? I wonder how many of you would like to approach God by yourself without Jesus? 
That'd probably be a movie scene. Closest thing is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, seriously, how, how many of you sitting here right now would like to walk up to God, just waltz right up on your own and not under the banner of Jesus? I would call it a bold move. Not wise, not one I would choose, but it's bold for sure. And when we don't accept Jesus Christ as the answer, that's what we're doing. We're walking right up to God at best to speak, at worst, to raise our middle finger at him. And in the end, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Whether you want to or not. A day of humbling is coming. The question is, is, is a day of humbling coming in a service like this, in, in a life that you live here and now, or is a life coming where you are forced to bow? but you were made right because of your sacrifices in that Old Testament, but that was only for a short time until you sinned again, and then it had to go through the action of the high priest. But in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is taking on not just the role of sacrifice, but he takes on also the role of the high priest. He is like a Swiss army knife. He is a five-star player. He can do anything. He can, he can be the sacrifice. He can offer the sacrifice. He can be the priest. He can for, uh, give forgiveness. He can walk into the Holy of Holies. He is a Swiss army knife. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5. Go back to the right. I know your hands are going to get tired this morning. Here's what it says starting in verse 1. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. You couldn't deal with God on your own. You needed someone else to deal with God for you. This priest, he presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people. You can decide which one you are. Uh, because he himself is the subject to that same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become the high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is what's interesting about this chap, Melchizedek. He's from a place called Salem, and, and it is peace. It's, it's known as peace. All this kind of ties together. This priest is, is from Salem, S-A-L-E-M, and he, and he is, that town means peace. And the name of Melchizedek literally means king of justice. And so it says that Jesus is in line with this priest who is from a town of peace and whose name means king of justice. It's in Genesis chapter 14. A, a priest is someone who would literally bring people before God. I grab Hunter. I hold his hand. If he doesn't like that, maybe piggyback ride. Or he walks behind me, but I bring Hunter in, in before God. But I also bring the people's gifts. You're not good enough to bring a gift before God. 
You know the song Drummer Boy? Anybody have that your favorite Christmas song? Drummer Boy? I lay, be, I lay before the king my gifts. Eh, something like that. Couldn't even do that. Aaron and his sons did that. And, and now Jesus does that as well as the ultimate priest. Jesus is the exalted priest, so exalted that he transcends the normal categories of that which was a priest. He rewrites the rules. He fulfills everything. He's better than Aaron, better than the priest, better than all the Levites. Jesus is the kind of high priest that we need because he's the only one who's holy. Much like me, I, I've been around here now for going on five years. You've seen my sin. I'm not holy. You've seen me lose my temper. You've seen me say things that are wrong. You've seen me have conflict. I am not perfect. I can't walk before God and offer him your hallelujahs. You have to. I can't do that. I've got issues. And God continues to refine me. But Jesus... The high priest, because he's holy and blameless and he's unstained by sin, he does not need the sacrifice every day like the other high priests. Goodbye, Cheryl and Paul. <laughs> if you're going to leave earlier, you should sit in the back. <laughs> they told me already they're going on a business trip some beautiful place that I don't get to go. <sighs> Where were we? Oh, we were here. These priests did this every day for themselves and for the other people. Can you imagine how exhausted they were? Here's another bowl. Slit its throat. Drain its blood. Strip it down. Burn it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, talk about like tennis elbow. Like that's a lot of work. Every day. But Jesus did this once and for all when he was sacrificed on the cross. And now that that reality is here, there's no need anymore for human sacrifice. We don't need to do any of that anymore. We don't go through a man we don't go and offer our sins to a man or woman so that they can then offer them for God and then they can turn and then tell us you are forgiven. Baloney, no. We go to the high priest. We go to the one and only father. Hebrews 10, 18 says, when sins are forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. That chapter's done. And what's interesting is that the New Testament actually gives us a description of Jesus' crucifixion in the language of the Hatat guilt offering. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 17. If you're there, say word. All right, good enough. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task, as your version might say, the gift of ministry of reconciliation. The New Living Translation says the task of reconciling people to him. 
For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. Let's pause. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. For God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin, that sin offering, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And then look with me at Hebrews chapter 13. Go a few to the right. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 10. I, I hope you're seeing this. It's all part of the plan. The Old Testament is not some far off crazy thing that happened and now we've got the New Testament. There, there wasn't one God in the Old Testament and, and we have a brand new God in the New Testament or somehow he changed his ways. It all is part of the plan. Listen to what it says in verse 10. We have an altar. I don't know how many of you have an altar. Don't tell me if you do, but we have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. They couldn't even touch it. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animal into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burnt outside of the camp. Follow on this. So Jesus offer, uh, suffered and he died outside of the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go to him outside the camp and bear the, the disgrace he bore for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Amen. There are literally so many more connections of the Old Testament and the New Testament, how God just pulls it together, but we don't have ours. There, there are so many books be, that have been written about this, commentaries, uh, podcasts, sermons. I mean, if you really want to dig deep and be blown away by the connection of, of this book that is literally woven together absolutely in perfection and without error, there's ways to study that. But I want to conclude with the main point and that is that Jesus was crucified during the Passover. There's something special about this. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, starting at verse 17. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to a place of the skull. In Hebrew, it's Golgotha. There they nailed him to a cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. 
And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. In other words, so that everybody could understand what a mockery he was. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, hey, change it from king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's just throw dice for it. This was in fulfillment they, that says, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothing. So that's what they did. And then standing near the cross were Jesus' mother. Can you imagine her anguish? And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife, wife of Clopas, the, the Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. And so they soaked it up into a sponge and they put it on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his lips. And when Jesus tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And the anger of God is fulfilled. He becomes the Passover lamb. And, and what is the Passover but a, a Jewish festival that celebrates the Exodus? The relationship undeniable between the man or woman and child and the God of all creation. The, the mark on the door, the blood splattered on the door, the mark once and for all. The Gospels insist that we understand Jesus as the fulfillment of the Exodus and his death as the ultimate Passover sacrifice. It's all part of the plan. And God reveals himself throughout all the pages of the Old Testament. And over the past four weeks, we have taken pieces of this Old Testament priestly theology and tried to unpack it in order to explore God's nature and how he chose to relate to his people. It's very, very important. We've entered into this world of, of candles and sacrifice and smoke and incense, and it's been strange at times. We've witnessed the divine king as he established sacred acts and, and sacred spaces and, and sacred possessions, things that were most holy before him. In a time of a sin-filled world, and today we marvel at the way Jesus fulfilled this important aspect of Old Testament theology. We've been reminded of the central place of how God chooses to receive worship from his people. Remember, he decides what worship is. He decides how he wants to draw you in. He decides what forgiveness looks like. 
And that unbreakable relationship is a gift. It's a beautiful gift wrapped in the most beautiful wrapping and bows. And it's given to you every minute of every day. Moment by moment in good times and in bad. When you lose your temper, when your marriage is failing, when your kids are struggling, when you're out of work, when finances are tight, when you've cut someone off on the road, when you've thought things you shouldn't have, when you've lied, when you've cheated, when you've abused uh, substances, even in that moment, God hands you a gift again and again and again. It's the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And on one hand, that gift is completely free. And on the other hand, it will cost you everything. We started out by saying unapologetically that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman or child comes to the Father but through Him. not just a, a prayer, just as much as it's not a, a wedding vow recited at a wedding. It's a promise. It's a give and take. It's giving life to find life. And it's receiving hope and, and pledging one's allegiance. I want to give you a chance if, if you've never prayed that prayer, you could be sitting here today. If you've never said, you know what? Holy smokes, this is crazy. This was all part of God's plan. I, I can't believe it. And I really am forgiven. I don't have to be scared of an angry God. I, I can accept a loving God. I can just waltz right into his arms. And yeah, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your anger, bring your frustration, but come. I'm begging you. Don't think you can do it on your own. Don't think you can do it with your own reasoning. Don't think that you can figure this out. Don't think that you can choose a different path. There is no other path. There is one way. There is one hope. And it's in Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Since even the world began. And God loves it when a plan comes together. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I, I want to give you the, the opportunity, if you're watching online, you can do that in the quietness of wherever you are. If you're in the car, if you're at work, or you're in your bedroom, or you're listening in a park or on a hike, you can make the most important decision that you've ever made in your entire life. If you're here, I don't know what your morning has been like, but you can make the most important decision you've ever made in your entire life. To have an assurance that you will spend eternity with the Father in heaven. To begin uh, the first step in walking in a new truth, in a new light. man, the most courageous thing you could do in this room is to surrender, to throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up. I'm going to follow. That's what a man is. Bring your doubts, bring your concerns, bring your frustrations before the Lord. But if you want to have 
that assurance and begin to follow Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray this prayer quietly to yourself. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, Jesus. Thank you that those sins are not only forgiven, but I have access to the Father. Thank you that it is undeserved, but I do receive it. And today I want to start over. Today I want to truly receive you as my King, my Lord, my Savior, and to walk in light of that truth. I'm sorry for my past and I'm sorry for my present. I receive your forgiveness and I receive your love. Now help me to figure out what that means moving forward. It's in Jesus' name that you pray. Amen. If you would just keep your heads bowed, I, I want to ask you um, in a moment here to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer uh, to receive new life, to, to receive that from God. And then I'm going to ask you a secondary step to please come talk to me after the service. All you have to do is walk up and say, hey, I prayed that prayer that you let us in. And we'll have a brief conversation. And I want to make sure that we get you in contact with another man, another woman, one of us on staff to help you walk in that truth. Because we don't want you to go at it alone. So if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand up real quick? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Yes. Rejoice. Rejoice. Anyone else? you prayed that, uh, you can all open your eyes and, and look up. If you prayed that, please, I saw your hands. I'm just going to come stand up here. You don't have to come up right away because that's like walking up to the teacher's desk if you got an F, right? Uh, I don't want to point you out, but at some point after we're grabbing coffee and stuff like that, just come up casually and, and let me know. I'm going to make sure we get some folks in contact with you that can walk with you in light of this new truth for today. And now, finally, the Lord's Supper. We've done this every, every week in this series. And somehow God takes what is normal. Mimi goes and gets this stuff at Safeway. It's not holy. We even have gluten-free. But somehow God takes what's, what's normal and maybe even aged, maybe not to perfection. Cups aren't all filled the same way. Like this isn't perfection. And somehow God takes it and he makes it perfect in his eyes. It's symbolic of you. He takes you who you're not perfect. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're not perfect. You don't raise your kids perfect. You don't handle your business perfect. You don't respond the right way. You don't do everything just absolutely perfect. And God says, no problem. My son is, and I will use him as your name. 
And then he says, you don't just have a seat at Thanksgiving table. You can sit at the front. You can sit by me. You say, well, I don't deserve that, Jesus. I Trust me. If you knew, trust me, he does. And you still have a seat at the table right next to him. And literally the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what it cost me. And every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup. Probably a a dirty, normal cup in a dirty, normal, normal room. And he raised it and said, this is my blood which has been shed for you. It is now the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you do this, you remember what happened here. And remember, the disciples had no clue what was going on. But they would. Very shortly, they would. And you, my friends, you know what's going on. And so I want you to celebrate. Don't walk to this table in a somber mood. Don't walk to this table with your sins in mind. Walk to this table knowing God's anger has been fulfilled. Walk knowing you have a lightness on you. Walk knowing I don't deserve the forgiveness. I don't deserve to approach this table. I don't deserve to have a lightness on my shoulders. But thank God I do. And celebrate it. Run to it. And then respond to it in worship. Love it when a plan comes together. Enjoy your time.